Hey, welcome back to the practice of medicine. This is Dr. Choppa in BCS, and I'm joined by the one and the only Dr. Carpenter, ROC in the house. So we're gonna be talking about treating non-patients. Hey, 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 Hector, you know, now that you're here, I, I got this tickle in my throat. I, I, it's yeah. a little sore. You, yeah. you know, could you could you please, please, I don't have time to go to the doctor. Could, could you uh, please just give me some antibiotics for this? Oh my goodness. You know, guys, it happens more than you know. It's that call from a friend or a family member who wants that antibiotic for their sinus infection or their bladder infection or request the informal telemedicine consult on a variety of medical concerns. So what is a physician to do? So in this session, we're going to cover the ethical dilemma this poses and the real potential conflicts that these favors for friends and family can actually result in. So let's get started right now. Absolutely. Each and every one of you during your career as a future physician are going to find yourselves faced with having to decide whether to treat a family member, a friend, or even yourself. Numerous studies have shown that treating family and or friends is a common practice among physicians. This includes both a formal patient-physician relationship Mm. or the much more common informal structure, you know, the all-too-common phone call from a friend or a friend of a friend or a family member. But there are cautionary items that we just cannot forget. Look, we don't memorize these things because who knows the AMA Code of Ethics, opinion 8.19. Do you ROC? No, no, not at all. I saw it once. (laughs) But this is why we're doing this because there are guidelines for us. And it's okay to say, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing that. But there are some guidelines that come out of the AMA. Now, whether you remember the AMA or not, doesn't matter. Remember that the AMA is a respected professional organization and they kind of set the direction and the tone for physician ethical behavior. So here it is, according to the AMA Code of Ethics, opinion 8.19 on quote, self-treatment or treatment of family members. Here's what they got to say, ROC, listen to this. Physicians generally should not treat themselves or members of their immediate families. Professional objectivity, that's the key right there. Absolutely. Professional objectivity may be compromised when an immediate family member or a physician is the patient. The problem is that quality of care demands professional objectivity, and that may be very much compromised in these cases. Yeah, you have to understand, in the end, that there are several reasons for knowing and respecting these boundaries and for maintaining a professional relationship with your patients. When a patient is a member of the family or a close friend, it may be difficult for a physician to obtain a detailed history, conduct the sensitive examinations that are necessary, or provide comprehensive treatment options. You know, additionally, maintaining confidentiality can be difficult. Records may be inadequate, and other family members may expect similar attention down the road absolutely absolutely as my grandmother used to say you left the the barn door open (laughs) also a patient who is treated by a doctor with whom there is a personal relationship either as a friend or a family member or a spouse or child may not give accurate information or an exact history or pursue a second opinion or alternative treatments simply because they feel that is inappropriate to question the care of a doctor that they know 
out of obligation. Similarly, a physician's objectivity and judgment may be hindered if they try to assess and treat their own medical conditions. Mm -hmm. Physicians may also fail to probe sensitive areas when taking the medical history. Additionally, physicians may fail to probe sensitive areas when taking the medical history and or fail to perform intimate parts of the physical examination that are truly necessary. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You don't want to do an exam on your... Mom, Mom. Dad... Yeah. Why do you have to go there, man? I tell you, I tell you, it's, it, it, I'm not going to say it happened, but it happens. <laughs> Similarly, patients may feel uncomfortable, of course, who wouldn't, disclosing sensitive information or undergoing any kind of physical exam, especially if it's an intimate physical exam, especially when the physician is somebody that they know. And this discomfort is particularly true when the patient is a minor child. That Absolutely. That's a set of issues. And remember that sensitive or intimate care can usually or should usually be avoided for those cases because it kind of crosses an ethical boundary. Without a doubt. So when treating themselves or immediate family members, physicians may be inclined to treat problems, here it is, that are outside their scope of practice. Absolutely, does that happen very often? So I was telling you earlier, look guys, I just received a call this morning from uh, uh, the son of one of my best friends in San Antonio, who's here in the area in college, and his throat's hurting. Yeah, like, there oh, you go. Hey, is that going to be home? And my answer was very easy. Do you really want a gynecologist looking down your throat? I bet his face would have been <laughs> priceless. So again, it's just there's there's things that we just shouldn't do. Now remember that there may be unintended consequences at stake here as well. If tensions develop in a physician's professional relationship with a family member, perhaps as a result of a negative medical outcome, there may be difficulty that can be carried over into the family dynamics. So remember, oof, what would happen if we gave a wrong diagnosis? Absolutely, so, you gotta see Uncle Timmy every day. That's it, watch those unintended consequences. Now ROC, what, how does this get into patient autonomy? Yeah, you know, you've really gotta consider that because in the end, patients have to be able to make decisions on their own and they have to be able to make them in a truly informed fashion. So we also have to think about what is relevant with regards to physicians' attempt to treat members of their immediate family members. You know, family members that may be reluctant to state their preference for another physician or decline a recommendation for fear of offending you as the physician, even if you are just their family member. Mm -hmm. In particular, minor children will generally not feel free to refuse care from their parents. Mm -hmm. Likewise, physicians may feel obligated mm -hmm. to provide care to immediate family members even if they feel uncomfortable providing that type of care. Now remember we talked about the AMA stance, right? And that, that code of ethics. And even if you think, look, well I'm not an internist, Right? I'm an OBGYN or I'm a general surgeon. <laughs> exactly. I don't belong to the AMA. That's all right, because it's not just the AMA. Pretty much every medical professional society says not to do it. The American College of Physicians, the ACP, stated that physicians should, quote, usually not enter into a dual relationship of physicians or family members or a physician and friend. And the other issue, as ROC already documented, is that there's gaps in documentation. Now think about it. Another issue here is that when you provide care in the informal setting to a friend or a family member, you think we're keeping records of that? Not at all. There's no chart. There's no records. So if there's an ill a a outcome or an adverse event, there's no medical documentation of that. One study of physicians' informal prescribing found that physicians most frequently prescribed antibiotics. And that makes sense. I, I can see that. But also, here's what's scary, Arsene, yeah. is 
Some prescribe controlled substances or opioids or stimulants. What in the world is going on? Yeah, it's a slippery slope when you think about it. So this can have immense legal implications and also impede follow-up. And remember, this follow-up doesn't usually happen in this kind of informal setting. Well, what about professional college reprimand? We can get into some issues there. Tell us about that. Absolutely. I mean, think about this, guys. You are at the midpoint of your medical training, mm. at least the beginning of the midpoint of your medical training. Right. When you're getting out into your residency or even earlier in your practice, you have to think about how is this being viewed by the individuals that are actually assessing you. Mm. Most medical or professional uh, regulatory authorities, including colleges like the College of Medicine, have outlined what is expected by physicians when considering treatment of family members or self-treatment. They generally cite concerns for quality of care and state that, a that there are occasions where this practice is acceptable, but those occasions, I mean, honestly, Hector, they're really, really limited. Mm. As well, most colleges have policies on prescribing. Often these are similar to the policies for treating family members or friends. Physicians should not write a prescription for themselves or family members for controlled drugs or any drug yeah. that they are, that it can be found to be addicting or habituating, even when another physician is in charge of managing those medications or may have started the original prescription. What am I talking about there? Oh, I just need a refill. Oh, good point. A physician's prescribing privileges may in fact be revoked if narcotics or controlled substances and drugs are prescribed to family members or a physician self-prescribes these substances a boy that's a whole nother conversation treating or prescribing any drug especially controlled substances to oneself or to family members or to friends with whom you do not have an established patient relationship could lead to allegations of professional misconduct and risk sanction. so here's what i'm thinking absolutely do you have you started asking you for narcotics. Well, I'll tell you, it happens. And not only does it happen, it can happen with another physician, a nurse, or other folks. Just that true. tweaked back. It's uh, wow. it's a real, real slippery slope you don't want to go down. Yeah, true. It would not always be inappropriate to undertake self-treatment or treatment of immediate family members in the case of an emergency. I mean, think about that. Yeah. Or if you're in an isolated okay. setting where there's no other qualified physician or provider available. You know, at that point, physicians should not hesitate to treat themselves or other family members until another physician becomes available. If life or limerick's sake, and then you need to act. That's part of our duty, part of the oath that we've taken. So like everything, there's exceptions to every rule. Absolutely, absolutely. So the title is Treating Non-Patients or Family Members and Friends, and the gist of it is don't do it. But... Again, if, if little Timmy falls outside off the tree branch... <laughs> you got to pick him up and fix him. you got to fix him. That's okay. That's allowed. Am I right? Absolutely. <laughs> but, but where the line really is drawn for each of us is a personal and professional decision. The thing about it is they should not, we should not serve as the primary or That's regular it. care provider for immediate family members. There are situations in which routine care is acceptable for short-term, minor problems, or those rare emergencies that we were just discussing. But outside of that, it is not not appropriate for physicians to write prescriptions for mm. controlled substance, again, for themselves or immediately fa immediate family members or their colleagues. All right. Can I be transparent? With Absolutely. You? All right. We're in safe space. They're safe space. <laughs> We're not recording this, are we? All right. So, <laughs> so listen, talking about prescribing antibiotics, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I, I got to be honest here. Yeah. I don't want to be hypocritical. I mean, I've done it. 
Yeah. Of yeah, course yeah. I've done it. I've written it for my wife. I've written it for my kids. I've written it for friends. Because this is why it's real world. It's hard to say no. It's absolutely terrible to say no in some instances. And, and every time I've done that, I'll tell you, I've, been, I've always had this thing behind me going, I, I wish I don't have some kind of reaction. Well, how am I going to know? Sometimes they're out of the city. Hey, Hector, they send me this on text. Yep. They send me, and this is how real it is. And I've started to, to be much more cognizant of it. And I've gotten okay with, with saying no. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that you've got to consider is not just how is a regulatory board or your school or the dean going to consider this. You also have to think about it from a legal standpoint, from a medical legal standpoint. And that's why having a really great relationship with your risk management office and being able to have conversations like this to have someone to share as a colleague can be so incredibly important. You know, we learn from each other, even though we've been out in practice for a long time. And, and so Dr. Robert Millman, Dr. Millman, of course, who's part of the faculty at the College of Medicine, has a great one-liner whenever somebody asks him for care. Uh, and so when you say, hey, Dr. Millman, can you give me a prescription for something? He says the following, um, I'm just a simple radiologist. That's exactly correct. And that is a great way out. All right. So here's some last things to consider as we wrap this up. So what what actually defines a friend, right? What's a relationship? I mean, is it strong enough that you can do this? Are they a real patient? So there's things to consider here if you're trying to figure out who you can treat and not treat. Short answer is treat true established patients. Sometimes it can be difficult to evaluate whether there is a personal relationship with an individual. So when this occurs, the doctor or the future physician should consider the impact that knowing the individual personally could have on the quality of the treatment that should be provided. So here are a few questions that may help physicians determine the nature of this relationship with that individual. First, could the relationship impact acting in the individual's best interest. Absolutely. What's an example there? Well, I mean, if you think about the fact that you're going to have a conversation with someone about uh, something like a, a simple cough or perhaps a blister that they have in a place that they otherwise don't want to describe, oh, yeah. well, if they're not willing to give you full information, including what their activities have been, you may miss something that could not only get you in trouble because they don't get the treatment they need, but you may be missing something like a sexually transmitted infection, for instance, that's yeah. absolutely reportable to the state. And that goes to the second question could treating this person be difficult because it would be uncomfortable to ask questions that are required to make the proper diagnosis like sexual history social history and so those things if that's a tough decision for you then maybe you shouldn't be treating them overall next is would the relationship with that person make it difficult to maintain patient confidentiality or do you need to issue a mandatory report? What if you what if you diagnose an STI? Absolutely. Or even the opposite side of, of you know, thinking about something like elder abuse or even child, child abuse. abuse. Absolutely. You know, could you just look at the sprain on my son's wrist? Oh, if you don't really look right. around, you may be missing a lot of other bruises and prior injuries. Now, there's one more thing that we should be considering here about how this relationship goes into play. If we should treat a person or not, ROC, what about that? You know, the thing about it is you also have to ask yourself, would it be difficult to allow this person to make a personal health care decision that does not adhere to the medical advice that you are giving? Mm. Is it something where they're going to be afraid that they're going to offend you? Is it a concern or a, a worry that in the end they won't take the exact action that's best for them out of either respect or in some instances fear? 
Well, fear never really leads to good decisions. And that's why we want to, and the auspices and ideas of autonomy, we want to give people the option and opportunity to make well-informed decisions. Guys, this has been the practice of medicine. We're trying to keep you all safe and out of harm's way, getting you ready for your future medical career. So I'm Dr. Hector Chapa. I'm Dr. Rob Carpenter. And we'll see you next time on another episode of Practice of Medicine. Gig'em.